Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Thank you for joining us today. We know there's a lot happening in the world right now, and we're delighted that you're still spending this hour with us. This summer, here at St. Louis on the Air, we got a voicemail message from a listener, and she had a complaint about our coverage. She said that we talk too much about the newly opened restaurants in the city. She said we don't spend enough time on the tried-and-true eateries, the places that have stood the test of time. Now, we thought about it, and when you're right, you're right. We do tend to focus too much on what's new and shiny. And frankly, that's an occupational hazard for any journalist. The buzz tends to come from places that have just opened. But isn't the bigger achievement managing to stay open? So what can we do to honor the places that continue to excel day in and day out? Well, today on St. Louis on the Air, we're doing that. We invited three of the foremost food writers in town, two of them restaurant critics and the third a veteran food journalist. We told them that we want to talk about the restaurants that have stood the test of time. We wanted to give them a chance to talk amongst each other and to honor the places that keep them coming back for more. And so joining us today, we've got three very special guests. The first is Ian Frobe. He's the restaurant critic for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. And secondly, we're joined by Cheryl Baer. She's the food critic for the Riverfront Times. Full disclosure, I used to be her editor. I haven't been her editor now for about five months, and I still miss it because Cheryl always hit her deadline. So Cheryl, (laughs) welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And last but certainly not least is George Mayhe. He's the dining editor at St. Louis Magazine, and as pretty much any food writer in town can tell you he is the dean of St. Louis food journalism. So George Mayhe, welcome to the show. That's a heck of a way to start. Thank you, Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we dive into the restaurants that have stood the test of time, I wanted to run that listener's complaint by you. Do you think overall that the St. Louis food press is too consumed with the very newest? Like in our rush to cover what's new, do you think sometimes the golden oldies get neglected? George, what do you, what would you say? Absolutely. And, and I know I'm not alone when I say the three of us hear this all the time, just what you said. We get calls from these guys, hey, I've been here 10, 15, 20 years. I'm the guy that deserves the press as much as anybody else does. But unfortunately, our task is to is, is to entertain the, the bright, shiny objects. So, you know, in, in, in the past, uh, it was really harder to do. Now it's a little easier. We've got on, you know, we can do things digitally and online. So it, it uh, we can kind of broaden our scope a little bit. But at the end of the day, my editor wants to, to know what's new, what's exciting, because he knows that's what the readers want to know. And is that what the readers want? I mean, have you guys found that they're going to be more excited to learn about the place that's open just down the block? I think it's a balance. I think if you find something new or, um, newly relevant from a place that's been around for a long time. They're excited to hear about that, too. And Mm -hmm. I know at at the Post-Dispatch, they've given me the time and the space and the budget to go back to restaurants each year for our annual uh, Top 100 project, which I think has been useful. I mean, you can't get to every restaurant every year, but you can get back to restaurants and see how they evolve and make sure some of them stay in the spotlight as best you can with a limited budget and calories to spend. Do you ever find people saying, hey, here's this place that maybe you didn't think was that great years ago. I swear this place is now amazing. Like, does it ever happen that somebody gets better over time? Cheryl, I see you kind of making a skeptical face. Yeah, You know, I I haven't seen that, honestly. And um, I would say that I, I also hear plenty frequently about, um, you know, why aren't you covering these restaurants that have been around for a while? But we are also in the business of telling stories and people people know these stories. So trying to find a new and creative way to talk about them besides, hey, this place is still open and 
they're great, you know, is that something compelling people want to read about? Yeah, and I think also one thing, especially in the last, let's say, five to ten years, um, is that the kind of stories and the kind of people who are opening restaurants are cracking wide open. Um, you know, I don't think it's any secret that for a long time, restaurants, especially upscale restaurants, were the province of um, mostly white male chefs. Um, and that is very much not the case anymore. And I think it's really important to, you know, even if it means going back to places that have been around for a few years, but, um, you know, especially newer places, that there are new voices and stories that need to be told. And that we, as the food press, which has also been reflecting the white male chef for a long time, need to get out there and, and listen to these stories and share them with readers. So I think that's also a, a component of the focus on the new that, that needs to be. It's not just new and shiny. It's new and needs to be heard. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a really important part of, of what we're doing as, as restaurant writers these days that we can't overlook. So going then to a place that, that is part of that older guard, I was thinking about this a lot in terms of Brasserie because it just celebrated its 10th anniversary in the Central West End. And this is one of my very favorite restaurants in town. It's such a good restaurant. And I don't know that you guys can keep writing every week. Brasserie is still great. But do you think I'm wrong in thinking that Brasserie is it's just one of the most consistently good places to visit? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's wonderful, and I think they do a really great job at striking a balance between, you know, they're doing classic food, but they somehow still feel very relevant. Um, and, I mean, hats off to them for being able to be so consistent. It's amazingly consistent, and it's fun, and you've got the patio, which is fun. It's got a lot of different faces to it, depending on the weather and depending on your mood. It's fun to sit in the bar and have some French onion soup. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those places that you, you can check off a lot of boxes at Brasserie. And I think it's also what's important about Brasserie is that, you know, we should mention the, the owner and, and Gerard Kraft. And, you know, obviously one of the most acclaimed chefs of the past 15, 20 years in, in St. Louis. But I think what's important is that he, you know, people want to work at his restaurants. Um, he attracts talent and he retains talent. You know, people want to stay in his restaurants. And so you have, you know, it's, it's not the inertia that can set in into certain restaurants where it's the same people every who have been there a long time, the same recipes, you know. It's often the same food generally when you go to Brasserie, but, you know, um, the, the people are energized because they're working for uh, an important acclaimed chef. They want to prove something, you know, about themselves and their career. Um, and I think that's a really important part of what can make a, an existing restaurant um, remain relevant is, is if it's attracting and retaining really talented people who have something to prove, even if the restaurant itself, we all know, is already great. So they're not just going through the motions. Right. That, that makes sense to me. And I can see that in terms of brasserie. But, you know, you mentioned this idea of... Um, you know, they're innovating. That menu is changing. At the same time, there's certain things on that menu. If they took away that chicken, I would yeah, lead the riot. Be a problem. Yeah. yeah. So, George, how, do, how can restaurants balance this idea of keeping it fresh, but at the same time um, continuing to provide those trademark things? It's difficult because as soon as they take anything off of there, even if it's their slowest seller, we sell two of these a week, they'll hear from all kinds of people that that was my favorite thing on the menu. Was like, no, it wasn't, or we'd be selling more of it, you know, but it's always hard for a, a place to do that. They have to keep some certain things, which is some people want to go and eat the same thing there every time, every time, every time. You have to listen to those people too. But chefs are the first people to say, hey, we got to do some things differently. We're tired of making X dish and we want to make Y dish. And so it, it is. It's just a balance. And some people do it better than others. And some people can get away with more than others. Some uh, diners trust the chef a little more and saying, okay, if he's going to do it this way, then we're going to try it this way and it's going to be good. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tough balancing act. 
Now, we asked our listeners what some of their favorite restaurants were that had stood the test of time. We actually got a voicemail. Um, it's from someone named Roseanne, and she gave us her pick for a favorite longstanding restaurant. Let's listen. One of the best restaurants in St. Louis is Cafe Natasha. It's at 3200 South Grand. It serves Persian food. It's been in business for more than 30 years. It's one of my family's favorites, and I highly recommend it. My name is Roseanne. I live in Creve Coeur. And that's our listener, Roseanne. We do want to say, if you want to weigh in with your pick, you can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's uh, 382-TALK. Or if you want to throw something out there and see what our esteemed panel thinks of it, they are critics. They're bound to be perfectly honest with you. Um, you can also send us a tweet at STL on air, or you can email us at stlpublicradio.org and join this conversation. Now, Roseanne is talking about Cafe Natasha's. They have an amazing story. Cheryl, I know that they are not only a favorite of yours, but but you also know this family. Tell us a little bit about who they are. Yes, I'm jumping out of my seat uh, to uh, comment on this. No, they are just a wonderful family. It is, you know, we get asked a lot, where should we go out to eat? You know, what's your favorite restaurant in town? And um, I've been going there for 20 years. They have never ceased being my favorite restaurant. Um, and I have a wonderful experience every time there. Um, I think, you know, it's uh, Hamish Barami is the matriarch, you would say. And uh, unfortunately, um, the father, um, Bashid, he passed away a couple years ago. Um, Natasha is their daughter. And um, they've done something really interesting. You know, the place is just anchored by Hamish's cooking. But um, Natasha has come back and, you know, if you're a gin lover, then you know that she has the most outstanding gin program you know, here in town, if not the region and, and then some. Um, so she's allowed it to be the classic restaurant that it is. And she doesn't have the weight of feeling that she has to strictly carry on her parents' legacy. She feels like she can kind of take it and run with it. And I think that has really just energized the place over the last few years. Here's what's different about Cafe Natasha. A lot of these places that we've talked about, these older places, and say, okay, okay, well, let's write about you. What have you done differently? They haven't done anything differently. And it's like, well, it's hardly, give us something to go with. And if it's news, we can print it. The funny thing about Cafe Natasha is they haven't, besides the gin room, they haven't done much differently with that food in 35 years. And it's still, people are still beating the doors down to get to it, to eat it. And they haven't raised the prices much. They just celebrated their 35th birthday. And it's just unbelievable that you can kind of do the same thing for that long, get away with it, and they're doing it brilliantly. It's interesting in that case, though, haven't they also moved locations several times? So it's the same menu, but at some point they did realize, okay, we have to mix up something huge, which is we're going to move to South Grand. Um, I feel like sometimes restaurants, they commit to a location, and maybe the location is the problem. Yeah, they were in the loop, so... uh... Who, who knows who knows what that what says. that would be right now <laughs> let's talk about another place that has that very long-standing um, classic appeal and that's Tony's um, George you were saying when we were talking just um, just before we went on the air there's something very special about Tony's I mean it's always you know Vince Bomarito was he was the the restaurant patriarch of of St. Louis for years Vince senior uh, he died a few years ago but 
the, the legacy there is really hasn't changed much. The food is is superlative, and the service is even more superlative, if you can say such a thing. It's just you, you think you know what good service is until you go to Tony's, and then you watch these servers and these back waiters disappear behind these petition, partitions, come back, ask a question. Someone comes back and says, ask something else, and it's just like it's very seamless, and it works, and, and there's, there's nobody's duplicating anything that the other person is doing it's kind of like a magic show there and and until you see it and feel it you, then you go okay now I get it I know what's going on this is cool the thing that I find so special about their service there is that they make everyone feel like they're in on some sort of joke or secret you know they do such a good job you know you hear great service and you think that means stuffy formal what have you but this Everyone feels like they're some member of of like a club with you know, and and you're just in on it, and it's um, it just really makes you feel special there. Um, we've actually got a number of callers on the phone lines here. I'm going to go to that in just a moment, but first, um, Christine sent us an email, and she's she's speaking to this point of the old versus the new. I thought she had an interesting point here. She writes, "Remember that lots of new people move to St. Louis every year. We don't know about the restaurants that have been around for a long time. Those are interesting stories to us, as well as learning about new restaurants. Restaurant reviewers are not writing to a static audience. Um, I think she has a good point, Ian. I think you would probably also say that's where something like your top 100 list comes in. Well, yeah. I mean, you want to like have an ongoing narrative, um, which is part of the reason. I believe, I think the idea first occurred to me to do the top 100 back when um, another restaurant that I think we all miss greatly would be Harvest Closed, you know, and a lot of people are asking, well, how does this happen? How does a restaurant like Harvest Close when everybody loves it? Everybody says, well, you know, you talk about it, but you don't go there. Um, you're always saying, when's the last time I went to Harvest? And then it's not there anymore. And that, I think, planted, if I remember correctly, the seed in my, in my mind. Yeah. So you do want to balance, right? I mean, she's a great point. There's always new people coming. There are people who don't know the narrative thread that's been going on that, you know, the three of us take for granted because we write about it every day. Um, so yeah, that is a very good point. And you try to, you know, when you write a review of a new restaurant, we're often putting in the context of how it relates to existing restaurants. And you hope you know, the great thing today with all of our work being online and, and accessible pretty easily, you know, they can pursue those those lines if they want to and find things you've written before and, and, and so forth. So, yeah, no, it's a great point And it's something we have to keep in mind. And at St. Louis Magazine, we do a guide every every year and we do a top we do we do our version of the top 100 as well and then we also cover the the top new places so we try to balance it we do one one year and one the next and then we go back and forth so we try to answer that question but it makes that that October issue very special because it does have those tried and trues in it and it is a keeper for just the reason you were talking about so people may want to seek out that yeah, October issue yeah hold on to this right yeah um, so let's go to the phone lines it's uh, Poncho calling from Kirkwood hi you're on St. Louis on the air Hey, thank you. I think this is a great show. I've been in the wine business over 30 years in uh, St. Louis, and I think the wine or the food writing uh, has improved and hasn't been this good since uh, Joe Pollock was alive. But I want to talk about a couple of restaurants. I get asked all the time, where should I eat in St. Louis? And there's three places or four places I send people to, and they always thank me. Hmm. Number one is Annie Guns. It's expensive, but you never get ripped off. You get what you pay for. The Crossing understated as can be just there's just not a better restaurant in my opinion for being understated and really wowing people trotteria marcella everyone's favorite just a great restaurant and finally felix's pizza in dogtown (laughs) i take people there and they go crazy over that slice of pizza so those are four that i'm in regularly i send people to and i get 
get it back in spades every time. Thank you so much for that call. And I'm sure our guests are also grateful for the compliment on the great writing that is happening in this town. Um, those are a wide variety of places that Pancho there was recommending. Yeah. And um, I mean, I don't dispute any of the recommendations. I wanted to focus on um, one particular that just stood out to me is the crossing in Clayton, um, with Jim Fiala, the owner. Um, the crossing is a 20 years now, I think, if that sound about right, mm-hmm. um, maybe 21. Um, he's also got another restaurant, which is now another tried and true restaurant, a Chero in Maplewood, the more Italian leaning. Um, and, you know, he just creates great restaurants that have that, um, that timeless feel, but that also feel distinct. You know, they're not generic. I mean, the crossing is very much its own thing. Um, a Chero is Italian, but it doesn't slot into kind of preconceived notions of what an Italian restaurant is. Um, and the other thing is great is that they're great places to go because, um, you know, you can go and spend a lot of money. Both have great wine lists, um, you know, that you can you can do it up and do a full-blown tasting menu. But they also have great uh, prefix options. Uh, one of the – I think I mention this every year when I write about them in my top 100. You know, it's like a steal practically um, relative to some other uh, upscale restaurants. So, yeah, The Crossing is a great pick of those tried and true, you know. And the, the cooking is very up-to-date. I mean, he keep, you know, it does not feel like – the cooking that probably was being made 20 years ago, even if there are some dishes that are similar, it just feels very, you know, uh, that great balance of fresh, but also uh, tried and true and timeless. I think he started some of that prefix three for $25 back in the day before we ever heard of restaurant week or anything like that. And then he's modified it. Now you you can do it in several different forms, but he's kind of the the granddaddy of the prefix. And a lot of people uh, do that every night. And it is, it's an unbelievable deal. Yeah, it's still a great restaurant. Uh, We're talking to George Mayhew of St. Louis Magazine, Ian Frobe of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and Cheryl Baer of the Riverfront Times. We're discussing the restaurants that have stood the test of time. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. And now back to our conversation. George Mayhe, I want to go back to you. I know you're a fan of Frasers, and that place opened 27 years ago. And yet every time I go to that bar, it is just packed, and it's packed with, like, young, beautiful people. I understand it wasn't always the kind of restaurant that it is today. It started on the corner as a kind of a dungy, uh, you know, a dingy place, and Fraser Cameron was the chef, and he kind of did everything for a while, and it grew and it expanded, and now he's he's kind of gone about three bays over, but it's one of those restaurants that has withstood the test of time because that's what they've done differently recently is as they've got an incredible uh, bar program. And that's bringing a different group. It's 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 not offending the group that came there before, but it's opened Frasers up to a whole new. And a lot of people are saying, "I've never been to Frasers, but I heard their Manhattan was unbelievable." I said, "Well, there you go. Now they've, you know, that's a way to crack the door open to it to a whole uh, a whole other group." That seems like a risky strategy to say we're going to do a great bar and that's going to bring people to the restaurant, but. I mean, People it's like working. To drink, well, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't need to tell me that. So, <laughs> yes. Um, so we're talking to our, our restaurant critics here today about um, their picks for tried and true restaurants. If you want to weigh in with your pick, you can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. I'm going to go back to the phone lines. We've got, we have Lowe calling from St. Louis. Uh, Lo, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, uh, what the... I was reminded about how much I love South Grand restaurants when I heard about Cafe Natasha, and one of my favorites is Mangia Italiano, which has been there since, I think it was like the early 80s, 
and went from a pasta-like company into the restaurant it is now. Uh, and I just love it. They're always, like, adding new specials to the menus. They're changing the menus seasonally. Uh, the head chef, uh, Jim Bonsanti, he, like, is willing to cook food that people wouldn't think about, like bear meat. Bear like meat? That. Are, are yeah, you serious? It's like, yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I love it. And then their cocktails are changing all the time. I send everyone to Manja from 11 a.m. to 3 in the morning because that's when they're open. That's and right. That's a, that's a 3 a.m. bar. And that's a really unusual combination to have a 3 a.m. bar where the food is actually edible. Um, I, I, I and can't think they of have another bear one. meat. That's, yeah. I just wrote myself a note to check yeah. that out. I sense a viral Who's blog post coming. Who's going to get back coming. to the office first to write that one? <laughs> Lo, thank you so much for that recommendation. Uh, we also heard from a couple of our listeners on Twitter. Uh, Whiskey and Soba praises uh, E. Fratellini and Bar La Frere. He says, Zoe's restaurants are so sexy they get people pregnant. Um, I have to say, I think he kind of makes a point here. He's talking about Zoe Robinson, um, and she's just she's got a number of restaurants yeah. down in Clayton. Cheryl, she's just wonderful. I mean, and she is one of those people who she's been doing it for so long, but she still just manages to stay, you know, just so current and and modern. I mean. He talks about Barley Frere and E. Fratellini, and we're talking about the places that have stood the test of time. But then she opens Billie Jean, you know, right down the street. So she and that's yeah, just talk as about good. staying relevant. Oh that my place gosh. is unbelievable. Yeah, relevant I mean that's one cool. of my favorites of the last three or four years is, is Billie Jean, and you know also not just Zoe, but her go-to chef Ni um, Fongsali does an amazing job. You know, across you know Italian, obviously at E. Fratellini, the French at Barley Frere, and then well, I think what's so appealing about Billie Jean, and maybe kind of goes to some of the bigger threads we're talking about here is, you know, a very personal menu um, drawing on, you know, his own native Laos and as addition to sort of what he's cooked here in America. Um, And, you know, I think it's these, the success of the restaurants like E. Fratellini and Bar Le Frere, again, when you have these, whether they're large empires or these kind of small concentrated restaurant groups, you know, you can start to build up the capital um, and and the, the, the sort of the popularity among diners that then you can take a chance and do something, okay, you know, where we could rest on our laurels, we can also try this, which, you know, was not necessarily, Billie Jean is not necessarily, the sexiness aside, a formula that might have worked. You don't know. I mean, that's, it's, you can't easily say, oh, this is French, this is Italian. Um, and, and so that's, again, one of these great best of both worlds things that you can achieve. Let's go back to the phone lines. We've got Kathleen calling from Webster Groves. Um, Kathleen, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Thank you. I um, love your show, and I love both writers and their uh, best of columns. Um, my tried and true is Webster is a Big Sky Cafe in Webster Groves. Um, I think it was one of the most innovative restaurants when uh, Tim Mallet started, and he continues to be able to offer tried-and-true fare. He adds new things. He's farm-to-table, uses local farmers, has a great wine list, and it's just a really great place that's consistent. Kathleen, thank you so much for that. And it's funny, as you announced the name Big Sky Cafe, I saw all three of our <laughs> distinguished panel started nodding. Cheryl, what, what do you guys love so much about Big Sky Cafe? Garlic mashed potatoes. <laughs> when when I no think more. of them, but when I think of them, you know, we think of something like that right now that seems, I don't know, not dated, but just obvious. But I remember when, when they first opened and started doing that, that, w- that was actually something different. That's, that's just the one memory I always have of them. But I would totally agree that 
that they're one of those places. Yeah, and Tim, you know, she mentioned Tim Mallet. I mean, you know, if we had done this show two years ago, two, two and a half years ago, I bet one of the restaurants on all of our lists would have been Remy's, mm. you know, in terms of tried and true restaurants um, in Clayton, Remy's Kitchen and Wine Bar. But yeah, Big Sky Cafe, I mean, one of the first places when I moved here, my now wife and I moved here in 2003, one of the first places we fell in love with was Big Sky Cafe, I can remember in the, those first few years. So yeah, it's a great Great restaurant. Tim Mallet did a lot of uh, uh, pioneering with small plates, and it kind of continued there. The happy hour and their happy hour program there is unbelievable. It's just one of these neighborhood places. It's kind of tucked back next to the railroad track, which is kind of charming when the trains come by. I've liked it for years. It was on my short list of, I've, I've got a list of, of places, we call them tried and trues, but I also call them forgotten abouts. A lot of people forget, and I have a list of places that I forget about that I need to get to. And I think Big Sky Cafe should be, or probably is on a lot of those a lot of those lists. It's like, it's been there so long. You know, you, you, you don't go there for some reason. And George's list, I will say, for people listening, if you Google St. Louis Magazine and Tried and True Restaurants, it's just a very short sort of um, column that George wrote, but he, it's packed with good restaurants well, in there. Well, and I called them Tried and Trues, and that was my editor talking. I called them Forgotten Abouts, and my editor goes, how would you like to be a Forgotten About? I go, hmm, that's a good point. So we changed it to Tried and Trues, which they are too, but there's it's a little crossover there. Yeah, there's a lot of good places on that list. Let's go back to the phone lines. Um, we've got Matthew calling from May. Maplewood. Um, Matthew, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, guys. Um, I was just wanting to give a shout out to a Maplewood uh, restaurant called the Olympia. It's a Greek restaurant that's been family owned for about, oh, I think 39, 40 years. And um, I just want to mention it because they are just a, a family restaurant. It seems like an everyday kind of restaurant that everybody comes all walks of life, family, friends, you know, like I said, I just want to, you know, Give a mention about it. To Olympia and Maplewood. Thank you so much for that, Matthew. Um, let's go to Josh calling from University City. Um, Josh, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Uh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, awesome subject with some awesome people, so thanks for talking about this. Um, I just wanted to say I think um, as a, a restaurant, kind of recovering restaurant veteran, the thing that sets people like Jim Fiala and Zoe Robinson and these longtime owners, um, I, I put Matt McGuire in that category as well. They serve great food, they serve great drinks, but they surround themselves with a crew that is about treating the guests right and getting guests an experience that they will remember and want to repeat and repeat and repeat. So it's about that. It's, it's about knowing that experience and knowing how to treat people right that will get a restaurant 10 years, 20 years, 25, 30 years down the road. Josh, um, a reputation. thank you for that thought. I, I think you have a really good point there. Ian Frobe, how important is hospitality? Oh, it's so important. And, you know, I think um, he picked, you know, great examples, especially, you know, we've already talked about Zoe and, and Jim Fiala, but um, I mean, Louie, I mean, my goodness, I mean, talk about a restaurant that's, that seemed to open, do it, have already been there forever. I mean, just a perfect location in, in Demon Park, across from Demon Park. And Matt McGuire, I mean, going back to King Louie, I mean, just a, the pros pro. I mean, yeah, and it, it's about making you feel like we talked about with Tony's, you know, making you feel like, you know, you're the most important reservation of the night, but also cultivating an ambiance where you can tell everybody feels that, um, which is, I think, kind of a two part trick. That not every restaurant can pull off. Um, but yeah, I mean, hospitality and and just, you know, even if they don't remember your name when you walk in, knowing that they do recognize you. I mean, that 
that's 50% of the night's experience right there half the time, I think, for diners. And we owe that term partially to Danny Meyer, who wrote a whole book about hospitality, St. Louis and Danny Meyer. And it's just, to me, it's just being nice to people and kind of the golden rule kind of thing. And he introduced it to New York, and it was this revolutionary thing. And, and to us, it was just taking care of the customer. And uh, the guys like we mentioned and Chris Kelling, people like yeah. that, they yeah. they get it. They know how to do it, and they make it look easy, and it isn't. It's it's something that these guys think about every day, and once you go in there, you go, this is pretty cool. And there's a, there's a lot of – these guys put a lot of thought into why it's that cool. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Michael is calling from Frontenac. Uh, Michael, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I go to Grassi's all the time in Frontenac, and – one thing about Grassi's is it's fast. There's a line out the door every day at lunch. It's an Italian bistro, but they're really good with kids. And I, I think the panel, um, you guys could write a book, or maybe I could, on good kid restaurants in St. Louis because sometimes they're hard to find uh, as far as hospitality goes. You picked the right day to call. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Michael, um, you have uh, several parents of young children in on this conversation, and it is something that we talk about so much. And as Cheryl's former editor, I have to say there's so many times Cheryl would include in her review something about how her child was melting down and, and how the restaurant responded to that ended up really forming the basis of Cheryl's opinion. It really does. You want to talk about the best cover ever for a restaurant critic is walking into a restaurant with a two-year-olds you know you really see their true colors right away absolutely yeah even when I was critiquing back in the 90s that's how I do it I'd go in with with my wife or whatever and then I'd go in with my my daughter and it was a different experience sometimes and and you could write that it was and it's like okay this is very very noteworthy and you're definitely seeing chefs move in that direction. You know, a lot of the chefs are in the same, and restaurant owners, they're in the same position that we are. They're you know, parents of young children, and um, they're wanting to open restaurants that yeah. they can feel that they can bring their families well, to. And, you know, restaurant, going to restaurants now is the entertainment. You know, it's not, you know, you don't go to the restaurant and then go to the movie. As the, You know, restaurants are a thing, and families want to go out together. So smart restaurant owners and chefs know that, you know, not just the two of the three critics here on the table are, you know, people are walking in with kids, you know, and you can see whether it's, you know, Pastoria with their brilliant, you know, their birthday cake um, uh, flavor uh, dessert or just, you know, you can't just put down the color menu and a handful of generic crayons anymore and expect to get away with it, you know. And, and it's also a great thing, you know, is that you can see, you know, walking into it, especially a new restaurant as, as, a, as a father now, you walk into a new restaurant and you go into the men's room and, you notice, oh, there's no diaper changing station here hmm. um, for for dads, and you know that's the kind of thing that you know it doesn't come out in a review necessarily, but that's the kind of thing you notice when you're a parent, and, and especially in the 21st century, where you're like, you know what, you guys haven't thought through everything, have you? Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the kind of things that that being a parent and a critic have have impacted. Is there yeah. also a way though that a restaurant could end up being so kid friendly that adults don't want to go there anymore? <laughs> I know before I had kids, I was a terrible snob, and I'm embarrassed about that now. But kids can be such a disruptive thing. I say that even as I'm hauling mine into restaurants. George, do you think well, restaurants I, don't want to attract that crowd necessarily? There's a time and a place for everything. But this is interesting because we're talking about pastoria. And one of the things that Gerard Kraft did, he wanted a place where he could take his kids. And he cultivated that thought. And between 5 and 6.30, it's families with kids. And then the complexion completely changes. Mm-hmm. And it goes into into normal, what I call normal diners. But I think, you know, hats off to Gerard Kraft for noticing or you know, observing that and making that work for him. He gets a whole 
extra table turn that other restaurants don't get just because he gets that early he, shift. Yeah, he was thinking ahead. And I think that was one of the smartest things he's ever done. And I think that's the reason that Pastoria is on my list is one of these places. It's going to hang around for a while just because he's he covers a lot of bases and does it well. And there isn't a lot of you know, horrible crossover, like you just said. That actually leads me into something I wanted to ask all three of you. And that is, you know, we're talking about these restaurants that have been here 10 years, 20 years. What's a restaurant that if you were looking into your crystal ball right now, that you would say, I feel so confident this restaurant is still going to be here in 10 years because they've just got it going on. Car- Carl's <laughs> Drive-In. It's been there forever. It will be there forever. Is- and everybody knows why. <laughs> just go there and you'll get it. Well, however many, 12, 14th stools. It's just awesome. It's the only restaurant that I go to that I determine if I'm going in. If, if there's cars in the if the parking lot's full, you can't go in. If there's a spot in that lot, then you can probably get a seat there. I mean, I've been known to go there at 3 in the afternoon just because I can. Well, so you've heard it here now. Um, <laughs> Carl's will be here in 2029, and we are going to hold George to that. I think, um, yeah, in terms of newer restaurants, I mean, we already mentioned Louie, which I think is, you know, a new classic. Um, you know, I've had my heart broken many times in the last, especially the last five or six years with restaurants I thought for sure were going to become staples of of the scene that you know and it's just it's a difficult business so i i hesitate to make you know any real prediction but i mean i i look at something like balkan treat oh, box yeah, well, i mean you know I that's just gonna say that i mean that's, it's you just it's, it's the people's champion it's a critic's champion i mean everybody loves balkan treat box it's and it's again it's it's a combination of great food um uh, lauren and, and ito have this atmosphere of hospitality that is just especially in the new brick and mortar in webster groves if you haven't been um even if you have to wait in line it's worth the wait but it's just you know, there's this wood-fired oven, and then there's this, like, metaphorical warmth that you feel as soon as you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like a great big bear hug of a restaurant um, and amazing food. So I think, again, hedging my bets because nothing's a short thing, I think, you know, that's one of those places that I could see, you know, being a permanent St. Louis institution. Cheryl, what's your pick? What do you see still being here in 10 years? Well, in traveling just down the road, I see Olive and Oak is being, you know, around. I, I think it's, you know, the Annie Guns, you know, and no no shock to that because they were affiliated with the Annie Guns, or at least the, the GM and owner was. But um, that restaurant just tapped into something in Webster Groves that was not there before or they tapped into some a need for something that wasn't there and um that place is still packed all the time it's still one of the most difficult reservations in town and uh for great reason and i just see that as is having that staying power i hope you're i hope you guys are all right about these places i want to go back to the phone lines um mike is calling from st louis hi mike you're on st louis on the air Hi. Uh, I just have to give a shout out to really all restaurants that are out there struggling to make it because it's such a hard business. I mean, you basically have a product that you have to have at the ready for me when I get there. And if I don't come, it might spoil. Mm -hmm. Uh, A manufacturer doesn't have to worry about that. He can leave it on a shelf. But on top of that, your employees, they're basically like actors and actresses. They have to perform for you every night. And you have to manage these people. So, I mean, it's I've worked just a little bit in the business as a waiter and different things, and I've seen the struggle that is on the other side of the counter. Because everybody has this fantasy, oh, I'd love to open up a restaurant like that. And I always tell them uh, it's completely different on the other side of the counter, and you really have to be totally dedicated and uh, so, again, I have so much respect for good restaurants and even even bad ones. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for that. George, I know you're a restaurant veteran yourself. Um, 
how how hard is it to run a restaurant? It's it looks so easy and it's not and everybody wants to, everybody wants to own a food truck and everybody wants to own a restaurant and it both are just really hard just because you have to really be a well-rounded soul and really like to work. Uh, guys that just can th- a lot of them come in and go I can hire this guy and if you hire all these people then there's no money left for you so you have to be there to to make that that thing work and like I said it's guys like Mike Emerson and 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 Matt McGuire that kind of make this look easy and really get a lot of people into it and it's like oh my gosh it's a it's a blessing and a curse because it's a, it's a very tough business and and with social media and with the uh, you know the, the labor situation right now is, is is critical it's just it's not getting any easier it's it's getting a lot tougher so again I, I agree with the caller hats off to, to to the restaurant community and I was in it I thought it was difficult when I was in it 20 years ago it was a piece of cake compared to what it is today and Cheryl you also I know you were a server for a very long time. I mean, you know, these restaurant jobs, as you say, people have to want to work. Um, whether you're owning the restaurant or working at it, I think, you know, just to finish this segment off, I just feel like all these places deserve so much props because they're basically putting on a, a theatrical show every night involving food and leaving us satisfied. You are. And um, that is, you know, George just touched on it. I hear a consistent you know, complaint or you know whatever you want to call it from restaurant owners and chefs right now, they're having a difficult time finding enough people to work. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of them even worry, are we going to open our doors, you know, in the next week without it? So that's that's a huge thing that's going on that's right now. That's kind of a new and challenge. It is. Well, a lot shortage. of them have changed their hours. They're not open seven days. They're open five days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's changing the way, the, the, the complexion of these restaurants. And it's, that's why it's happening. It's uh, and a lot of guys are going, well, I, I'd like to expand, but I can't staff the three places I have now. Why would I open another one? Hmm. So these are some real challenges. And I guess if there's any takeaway from this segment, maybe it's that we should all revisit that old favorite that we haven't been to in a while. You don't want it to be the situation where something closes and you say, oh, I haven't been there in five years. I'm so sad it's closed. Um, I want to thank our panel for being here today. I feel like you guys added so um, so much interesting stuff to this conversation, and I'm sorry that we've run out of time. But um, George Mayhe of St. Louis Magazine, Ian Frobe of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and Cheryl Bear of the Riverfront Times, thank you for joining us. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.